Hello everyone and welcome back to the Scottish Paddlecast. I'm Habi Litton and some of you might recognise me from episode 1 of our Coaching Conversation series. The episode we have lined up today with Scott Simon and Doug McDonald is a belter and we really hope you enjoy it. Please make sure to stick around until the end for a special announcement about the Scottish Paddlecast. We'll catch you all then. Hi everyone and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Scottish Paddlecast from the Scottish Canoe Association. We hope you're all keeping well and we are delighted to be joined today by Scott Simon who is the head coach of the British Paracanoe Programme. He has had a rich and varied experience as a paddler and coach in recreational, competitive, able-bodied and para-sport. So we are delighted he's made the time to join us today. Thanks Scott. Thanks Doug, looking forward to it. So the traditional or now infamous warm-up question on our podcast, uh, if you could paddle anywhere in the world, any boat craft, uh, any place with any people, where would you go and what would you do? Yeah, that's a great question. I've been so fortunate to have gone more or less on every continent paddling in various different guises, I think. But um, I think right now with everything that's going on in the world, I'd love to be on one of those great big Canadian wilderness uh, canoe trips, <laughs> miles away from anybody. Um, I think for uh, the gradient and the volume and the continuous dry mouth experience, it would be somewhere like Norway. But uh, I think if I had to pick anywhere, really, it would be um, with my mates, having fun, doing what we're supposed to be doing on the Findhorn on a glorious autumn day with all the colours going. I think that's my favourite place. Well, I mean, you just can't beat going paddling in Scotland, can you? But yeah, a nice a nice warm autumn day when they, whenever they come <laughs> around on a good level, right? Yeah, that's right. Let's sun out. So, Scott, you've had a... a an amazing journey really to this this point and I'm sure what comes next will be pretty exciting too. For the benefit of me and of our, our listeners, could you maybe just tell us a bit about how you got into paddling in the first place and, and where that led you? Yeah, I think if I ever tried to repeat it or, or plan it, it, it would never have worked. So I've just been really fortunate that things have happened throughout my career really. Um, so I guess I got into paddling as a kid. Um Grew up native of North Wales, just splashing about on rivers, um, in slippers as we would call them there. Um, just kind of messing about in boats really. Um, and through my early ages, more of a rugby player. And then had a little bit of uh, professional, semi-professional stuff going on there until I got broken. Um, and it was it was actually that, that career ending that opened the door for me in terms of uh, going into coaching and coming back to paddle sport. Okay, so we started out. As you put it so elegantly, messing about in boats and a bit of rugby, and then uh, and then some other things. So early days messing around, and where did that lead you in terms of paddling? What what kind of paddling did uh, did you do? I guess after the messing around stage, uh, it would have been very informal stuff, and then a little 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 bit of slalom. I wouldn't claim to be a slalom paddler, um, K one C two kind of stuff. Uh, again with mates and then a little bit of wild water racing um, nothing informal and then just on rivers so it was rivers that were my thing really um, generally in kayaks uh, and then just just kind of exploring from there which then led me into coaching um, as one door as I think what's been really a theme throughout my career is as one professional door closes another opens. so a great example of that would have been the rugby injury which gave me the opportunity to came to come into coaching. 
Um, I then joined the RAF as a physical training instructor and kind of run around doing press-ups for a few years, which was fantastic when, when I was that age. But then after a little while, I was required to specialise and um, the RAF at that point had a, a, a trade called an adventure training instructor. So it was basically primarily developing leadership qualities through the outdoor experience. So um, you could put somebody into um, perceived or actual risk and then how they responded to that would, would very much um, help them in terms of their experiences when they went into an operational environment. So spent a few years uh, within that leadership element and then um, I guess I, I kind of progressed in terms of experience and moved into a, a training role where I would uh, very much train the trainers. And then that then really opened up um, the world for me really in terms of the environments we were going because we would need to go to a little bit more of a challenging environment to train the trainers. So very much working within that. And then at the same time then, almost like parallel um, course directing kind of came on board. So working with national centers um, in my spare time, that kind of thing. Um, and then uh, had a had another injury. Um, basically, I fell off a mountain in when I was in the RAF, uh, delivering some training. Um, head injury, shoulder, neck. So that that ended my career, which was again a double-edged sword, really, in terms of another opportunity opened. Where at that point, a friend of mine down at British Canoe needed a little bit of help in terms of developing some of the coaches there. So he needed somebody who knew how a boat worked, and then. Um, the second part of my kind of uh, repertoire really is around strength and conditioning coaching. I've done that for a few years as well, being a, a PTI. And um, he needed somebody who knew how a uh, body worked and then put the two together. So I kind of went down to Nottingham, did some stuff, um, and the rest is history, I guess. Now, as somebody who has been on the, the other end of the uh, PTI standing in front of you, um, there's there are a lot of press-ups generally involved. I do remember that. Uh, but I also always struck me that it was uh, the best job in the world, right? Getting paid to go out in the mountains and rivers and do these amazing things. Yeah, I, I do. It, it it was a little bit of um, not not the best ending for me. But if I if I look at what the RF did for me, the experiences it gave me, the exposure I had to some fantastic people, and how how people really do perform in um, some really challenging environments, it, it, it's taught me so lot, really. Which which has then really allowed me, I think, to fast track into performance sport, really. Um, and it's just given me a little bit more depth and breadth and richness um, to certainly the, uh, the leadership role that I, I kind of sit within now. Yeah. Wow. It seems to me that, um, well, I'm interested if you then, in your current role, find yourself with athletes who are taking career transitions or who have significant injury. I, I'm wondering if, if your own experiences give you real empathy for those athletes when that happens. Uh, yeah, uh, 100%. Um, I think that there's always a transition. Uh, it, it's natural within certainly the athlete cohort, whether that's Olympic, Paralympic, that there'll be, there'll be key points every four years um, where they, they're faced with a, a choice. Um, and sometimes they, they don't, have as much of a choice as they want. Um, I think with Paralympic sport, it, it's fair to say that a lot of athletes um, have had an acquired um, injury, which which then, you know, they wouldn't have chose to have that. But again, just 
back to the theme really with one door closes and other opens it's just led them into this fantastic world of Paralympic sport right well you've now opened a door for me there which is to maybe just chat a bit about so you left the Air Force and uh, were invited down to Nottingham to do some coaching understand how boats work understand how people work and then uh at some point along the way, you were given the opportunity to go go and work in, in the amazing world of, of para-canoe. How, how did that come come about? What was the story behind that? Well, I think that was that was the bit that I originally got invited down to do, was do some work with, with some of the coaches. And then um, they're a fantastic team, a fantastic bunch of people, um, really professional. And it was just, it was just an environment that I kind of thrived in, really, and, and wanted to contribute to. So I guess I'm... I'm drawn to kind of like those people and those roles. And it was just an area that uh, really intrigued me. I think what's brilliant about Paralympic sport is that there isn't necessarily always a rule book, you know, in terms of that there is no manual for, for some things. So it's about innovation. It's about experimentation. It's about really understanding individualization and then how you can best optimize the, the people in front of you, whether that's um, a staff team or athlete team. Yeah, that, that's so interesting, Scott. And I, I was privileged enough to be allowed to come down and, and spend some time with, with, with your guys. And uh, I was I was really struck by that um, kind of breeding ground for innovation and creativity and different ways of doing things that um, obviously we have that within Olympic sport as well, but, but para seems to just lend itself to that on an almost minute-by-minute basis sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms then of your current role as head coach of that program could you just give our listeners a bit of a sense of, of what that role is all about and and um yeah i guess where where you're trying to take things with that yeah so i suppose i've got there's almost like two main functions of that role um one is very much i guess the traditional coaching bit although i don't have any direct um athletes that i'm responsible for it's it's supporting and working with all of the coaches um, and the athlete support team. So again, I guess because I've got um, an SNC hat, I can kind of bridge across into the sports science and management team, which is really, really useful within Paralympic sport because um, it's not always the, the technical coach that will hold the answer. It sometimes might be the physiotherapist or a strength and condition. So that, that whole team um, lends itself as a, as a fantastic community of practice that I can bridge across. So on one hand, I'm working on that side. And then on the other side, I'm responsible for the strategic direction, the delivery of results, accountability to UK sports, um, putting the boring stuff of putting things together, selection policies, all the other bits and pieces that actually make make the operation work. Yeah. I wonder if I could just explore something that was an observation that I had from when I spent some time with, with your guys was this this real sense of team uh, from the paddlers as well as from the coaches, but within your coaching team, this real sense of uh, one group of people all working together to do that. I'm really interested, given your background in the the outdoor world and the doing press-ups, as you so elegantly put it, uh, <laughs> how do you go about building that team? How do you go about fostering an environment where coaches feel like they can, uh, like they can contribute and like they, they can take things forward? Yeah, I guess if I if I link back to um, that military experience I had, so I guess through my career I ended up serving, not I didn't necessarily serve in these theatres, but um, Northern Ireland, Kosovo, Iraq, 
um, and the Afghanistan campaigns were all on. So right through the length of my my career and myself being within training teams that were preparing people to go into these environments um, and picking then people back up who had come back through and then reviewing that, that learning. I think what it, it, it's given me is a fantastic insight in how to create um, re really small teams and how they mass and by small I mean up to 20, 30 people um, and how they really operate under pressure situations and then again working in you know high consequential terrains within the adventure sport world has really taught me again how to kind of pull up together so I think I've learnt a lot on that um, a lot, lot of mistakes, a lot of successes, um, but it's. I think there's, there's a bit there about the, the leadership philosophy that you put in and being like really consistent with that. Um, so for us, that's a real transformational model. Uh, again, very linked to like a personal coaching philosophy, kind of unsurprisingly. But then that that leadership philosophy is only any good if it's underpinned by the culture that supports it as well. So there's there's two two or three things there that intertwine to allow the the, the people to perform at the level and be supported they need to be. I feel at this point we have a perfect segue. Uh, I don't want to um, steal your thunder. Within the para setup, you have a. Um, you have a Japanese symbol, actually, don't you? And you have this this idea of um, of everyone coming together. Do you want to just talk a bit about the creation of that? And tell people a bit about that that image that is everywhere. So I, I guess when I came in, really, there, there were some challenges in the team. We've just been really successful past Rio, and then there was almost like a breakup of that that team um, through various factors. And then I, you know, that that was an opportunity for me to come in and, and kind of get involved. But I think. And again, linking back to um, high-performing teams, I think it's it's really understanding that what we need is this this higher higher purpose. So it's more than self, and the team are kind of all in it together, really. So we've we've basically got a Shinto gate um, that we've termed Project Nine. So there's nine Paralympic events in in Tokyo, and the ambition that's lofty, but we will do it, is to get nine boats on that start line. But also understanding that to put those athletes there is going to take um, self-sacrifice, success, dedication, you know, all, all of these descriptors that, that we would probably kind of pull out of a hat really, but to kind of talk the talk and walk the walk are, are two very different things. So it's just a way of pulling us all together and creating a higher sense of purpose and then just knowing that we're in it for, for everybody. And I guess if I link back to um, looking at an athlete on a podium when the Union Jack goes up, you know, and, and, and just me knowing my part in that process, um, I think that's, that's important. So the athlete quite rightly reserves the plaudits and gets the gold medal, but there's, there's a piece of hundreds of people that go into that gold medal, you know, from the cook, the cleaner, the the, the bottle washer, the mum, the dad, the people who did miles and miles up the M74, you know, it's all of these people that go to put there. And just when you look at that athlete, that's the sense of connection, the, the higher purpose that, that kind of like a lot of us do it for. So it was really bringing everybody together back to that and um, just knowing that actually if, if we will we will achieve much, much more if we work together. And as I, you know, I could be an elite athlete who's, who's in the, the pound seats for, for Tokyo um, and I could get a young thruster who's challenging me. But actually, if I reach down and pull that young thruster up, I know that in return that, that thruster will push me on to greater performances. 
So it's not seeing your teammates as your enemy. It's seeing them as you, very much as your partners. And for us as this collective, just, just going after our mission of, of absolutely dominating Tokyo, um, but doing it in the right way. Well, wow. Yeah. And certainly, you know, when I went down to your environment, that, that was the feeling that I got. Now, I think a lot of people out there, when they think about coaching um, people with disabilities or, or para-athletes are, are probably a little nervous. Uh, now, you obviously did that transition into co- from coaching able-bodied to coaching athletes with disabilities. I'm wondering if you could um, maybe give us a sense of that or, or maybe offer some some advice for that from maybe lessons that you learned. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, so I, I think probably the, the thing that I, I, I get in most of the conversations really are coaches are just a little bit nervous around disability because it's possibly unfamiliar to them. Um, and then they're, they're a little bit nervous about how they might adapt a boat or, or go about rescuing somebody. But um, actually, once once you get into it, it, it may be more obvious within a Paralympic world that, you know, because you're an amputee, for example, um, that there might be a little bit of a technical model. But actually, if, if you unpack that, we're all different shapes, all different sizes, um, you know, I'm, I'm the best part of 110 kilos. <laughs> you know, you, you're, you're 70 kilos. So, so clearly, if, if we sit in a boat, there's, there's going to be different things happening to it. So I guess what I'm getting out there is that we're all different. The one thing that unites us, or the one thing that we've all got in common, in common is our individuality, right? So actually, it's, it's just about coaching people. And, um, you know, you very quickly see that. And it's just like, this is an athlete who has a, you know, a really lofty ambition that I'm here to support. Scott, I'm really struck by something you just said there. Um, I hope people have written this down because it's an absolute belter, which is the one thing we have in common is our individuality. Um, and I suppose it's such a simple thing to say, isn't it? But um, that's, yeah, that's really, really sitting with me. So um, if you were then to uh, offer some advice to some uh, young coaches or uh either stepping into coaching for the first time or um, particularly perhaps stepping into disability or para coaching, what would, what would be your advice given your extensive experience in different environments? Um, I've probably got two bits to that, Doug, really. I've got one, one bit that, that struck with me really um, that was, was given to me by a fantastic guy called Paul Mills, who a lot of our community will know sadly has, has passed on now. Um, years ago when I was working with him, he was saying qualifications are a natural consequence of experience. Um, and, and back in the day, there were seeing so many instructors that were trying to come through and, you know, it was all about collecting tickets um, rather than really just gaining the experience and understanding coaching. So that, that kind of stuck with me, really. And I guess where I would um, take that these days is just uh, drop the ego. So I think the ego is the handbrake to development. So linked to kind of Paul's point, really, it's it's all about just if you don't know, then just be honest, just say, because that way you'll you'll gain the the information or, or what the factor depends upon, really. And um, I think if you if you ever get to the point where you know it all, fantastic. <laughs> but uh, I've yet to make that person really. Um, so it's the experience that develops the expertise and it's that expertise that we can then start to transfer from environment to environment, from person to person. So there goes the handbrake to development. There you go. That's a lovely uh, 
Maybe that's what we'll call the, the um, podcast now. Um, oh, God, there was so much in there, Scott. Um, I love that expression. Qualifications are a natural consequence of experience. And you reminded me of an uh, expression I learned in the Air Force as well, which was that um, it was from pilots, but it would apply to anyone, that when we start out, we've got, we've got two baskets and one of them's full of luck and one's got no experience in it. And the idea is to empty the bag of luck while we fill the bag of experience, but try not to do one too quickly. And it's, it's kind of that, that idea. Mm-hmm. So sadly, the, uh, the games have been postponed, obviously for extremely good reason. Uh, so you've had a better time maybe just to think ahead. I, I'm really interested. Well, what's next for you? And what's next for the program? Do you think over the next, next wee while? Well, I, I guess it never stops. So while, <laughs> funnily enough, while we've had the, this time to pause, UK Sport are asking for our uh, Paris plans and LA plans, actually. So um, all of that strategy is in development um, for the next 10 to 12 years. Uh, so that's kind of nailed down. For you know, for the, the Paracanoe programme, it's, um, it's been top of the table for the, you know, a, a good many years now. So I guess it's that continual evolution and um, not revolution of, of what we do and just that, that succession planning of people really. So that's really important. If we can get the, the best people in, then we'll continue to, to keep ourselves at the, the top of the table. So it's largely around that. Thanks, Scott. I mean, we, we could certainly continue this conversation uh, for a lot longer. I hope we get the chance to again in the future. For the, for the benefit of our listeners, I've been furiously writing down notes here and I'm sure they'll be doing the same thing. Just a, a couple of things that are sitting with me. Um, we've just spoken about this idea of qualifications being a natural consequence of experience. So maybe drop the ego and remember that ego may be the handbrake to your own development. I was really, hopefully people are struck by the synergy of, of three things for you. One was your experience in the military, um, learning about leadership in those environments. Uh, one was uh, the outdoor and that, uh, that sort of, uh, I guess, um, skillful hardship perhaps that you might have up from there and your experiences in Paris. So I hope people kind of see how those things come together and you can learn from anywhere really. Um, I love this idea of the the one thing we have in common is our individuality. I think I'll be taking that one away. Um, But something you've said a couple of times and I suppose maybe we come back to that to close off this conversation is when one door closes another one opens and and I feel that um, at the moment, we've got a lot of that happening, and so, so hopefully everyone at home um, perhaps has that feeling and, and can can take it forward. Scott, I'm so grateful for your time. I know how busy you are, and uh, like you say, somebody's got to keep it all ticking over. So um, thank you very, very much. Um, everyone listening at home, please keep an eye out uh, for future podcasts and hit subscribe so make sure you don't miss out. And obviously, at the moment, the most important thing is everybody, um, please stay safe. So thanks, Scott. Thanks, everybody. I really hope that you enjoyed that interview with Scott Simon. There are a lot of great things to take in from that episode. It's a beautiful saying, isn't it? The one thing we have in common is our individuality. I feel that really resonates well and portrays the brilliance of everyone's skills and strengths in the world of physical activity, be that performance or recreation-based. You might have noticed that I've been quiet in all of the episodes, but like like the listeners at home, I've had my headphones plugged in and trying to absorb as much information as I can. I really hope that you've been taking notes as there have been some sheer brilliance shared in this series. For example, we learned from Sam Miles that simplicity in coaching sessions is important. Christina told us that belief is where the magic lies, and Tomas shared that 
There are similarities in the mindsets of Einstein and Schwarzenegger, which might be a first for any podcast. These are just a few examples of the nuggets of great wisdom that has been shared across our eight episodes. And if you haven't listened to them yet, I'd highly recommend that you do. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to the Coaching Conversation series. Unfortunately, this is the last episode. I want to thank all the listeners at home for liking and subscribing our episodes on Podbean, Spotify and Apple. I want to thank Doug McDonald for his great hosting skills and a big thank you to our fantastic guests who we've had on to discuss their paddling journeys and who shared their hints and tips. I don't really want to end on a sad note, so I'm delighted to announce that we will be launching a new series of the Scottish Paddlecast, aptly named People of Paddle Sport. I can't give away too much right now, but please keep an eye out on social media for more information. Make sure you like and subscribe to know when the latest episode is out. Until then, stay safe everyone. Bye.